0: This is Dr. Binnick, and you're listening to The Help Show. Hi, this is Nyetta, and I am with an oldie but goodie, Dr. Robin Binnick. Um, Dr. Robin Bennick actually, she um, interviewed with our, well, I think it was like our third episode or something, like our third time on the air, with um changes Goals, and Motivation. So, Dr. Robin Benick, thank you, thank you, thank you thank for, you, for returning. Like, we've been talking. I'm like, we, we got to record. <laughs> Have such a great conversation. Um, I am going to hand this off to um, Dr. Robin Benick. Um, so, she, you can, you know, know a little bit about um, Dr. Benick. Because it's been a while since she's been to the show. <laughs> so, if you guys missed um, her actually um, interviewing for, like, our third time on air... Check her out now. She's Dr. Robin Bannick. You're, you're good. <laughs> you're great. You're great at what you do. So um, I'm going to hand it off to you and let them, you know, let, let you tell them a little bit about your practice okay. and um, what you have your license in. And then we'll get to
1: interviewing about, you know, mental health. Okay. Well, I'm a psychologist. I'm in private practice in Dallas. And I've been in practice for 18 or 19 years now. I've seen a few things. It's, um... It's always exciting, challenging, and um, passionate work for me. My number at the office, would you like that? Um, Yes, please. 972-386-8599 if you want to reach me.
0: Okay. And so um, we're going to talk about mental health, which I think this year um, it's really truly been out in the media. Um, Last month we talked about the disaster and um um dr bennick what i've learned is you know especially with what happened with all the hurricanes no one really spoke about the mental health perspective about it it was like okay you know let's give some money to here let's give them shelter let's give them food which those things are your necessities that we do need to live but no one said you know what let's get those people let's give them a therapist they might need a therapist they you know I, some people have saved their whole life for a home or that's now it's completely gone where are they mentally and so this month it should be every month but this month i really want to talk about mental health especially with the shooting that went on in vegas yes and i thought that was very sad but the, the question is where is where is he mentally And so I I wanted to get your your take on what you thought about what happened in Vegas. And I don't know if you had anybody that, you know, went to the the concert in Vegas.
1: No, I did not.
0: Oh, that's good to know. But I I really wanted to get your perspective on, you know, um, about the shooting in Vegas.
1: Well, Mm -hmm. it was, of course, uh, extremely sad. It was so disappointing for me to hear just as a, a person who lives in another state as a psychologist yes but but also just as a person it's it's like we're suffering blow after blow as a community of humanity with disaster after disaster and um you know we're more alike than different and we're more connected than we think and yet at the same time we're often so disconnected and to your point earlier about the the um the storms, the various hurricanes and whatnot, um, there have been psychologists from all over dispatched and who who volunteered basically to help victims, to help give pro bono sessions for people who needed it. And I'm sure the demand is much greater than the supply of that, but there are resources out there. Um, Like with most um, rescue efforts, a lot of times the, the issues with coordination of services you know, finding out where people are and what they need and when they need it, and then getting them matched up to the the available resources in the community. You know, lots of people were donating clothing and water and things like that. But how about donating your time if you're able to? And um, most psychologists, I think, are are pretty driven to help out help out the world, their communities, and. Um, you know, there's, there's help out there if, if it's asked for, basically. I know that I've gotten a couple of emails from Texas Psychological Association asking for volunteers.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And with that being said, in your field, what do you, how do you define mental health?
1: Like, what does mental health, you know, mean to you? Well, in a very broad sense, I would define that as one's functioning or even capacity to function Uh, Cognitively, emotionally, and interpersonally. So there is a biological effect there as well. Mental health disorders have effects on your biological health, and biological health also affects your mental state. But that's just a very, very broad definition of mental health. Then I think we want to talk about what's good mental health and what's not so good. Right and what's good because what is good mental health it depends on who you're asking but I think in a general sense um, well like Freud said <laughs> to, to work and to love and the human drives and, um, I, I think that's still true or I think that is true um, but good mental health I would say is the ability to uh, enjoy life to have pleasure to have joy to experience joy um, the ability to create and maintain relationships, the ability to, to cope with stress. Everybody has stress, but your experience of stress is basically the difference between your, the stressors and your perceived capacity to cope with stressors. So that's how I would, I would define good mental health, as somebody who can tolerate stressors within a reasonable degree, form relationships, experience joy, contribute, etc., and is, and is comfortable, is, is comfortable. A lot of times people look like they're functioning well, and they're not functioning well. You know, they're, they're a wreck inside. you know, these suicides that seem to come out of nowhere, you know, well, he seems so happy, or this or that, and right. yeah, well, people aren't always what they seem, and most of us don't take the time to really get to know Another person, and, and to even venture a guess as to what might be going on inside of them, because we're too self focused.
0: That is so true. We don't. I don't. I don't think as human beings. And sometimes I'm I'm a tad bit guilty, but not too guilty that I'm so into what I'm doing, I don't listen. And it's important to listen. You, I, I know sitting down and um, just listening to someone else's issues and problems helps a person out mentally.
1: Oh, absolutely. The, the power of listening and letting someone know that they've been heard as an as a first attempt to understand them and empathize with them goes a really long way. A lot of times people feel that it's hopeless, right. that, um, well, what can I possibly do about it, or I'm going to be brought down so far by listening to it, which most of the time is not actually what happens. Um, <clears throat> when I worked at a... Um, Community Behavioral Health Organization, we worked primarily with homeless, mentally ill people. Oftentimes, they had dual diagnoses, which means that they had a major mental illness, and they had a substance abuse disorder as well. And we taught a class, um, we taught lots of classes there, and one of which was Overcoming Barriers um, to Recovery, And we did various modules on anger management and um, stress management and things like that. But one of the most powerful things that we ever did was we just did a simple listening exercise with people. I may have talked about this when I was on the show previously. But we would would teach them about active listening, and we would set them up in dyads, so groups of two. And we would just have them talk. One person talk for five minutes, the other person be an active listener. And then we had them reverse roles. And then we got back together in the large group and talked about the experiences, and I tell you, it almost brought me to tears hearing people talk about what it was like to have somebody really listen to them, because this, by and large, is a very disenfranchised population. You know, there are people that other people look away from, they don't look to, and and everybody has humanity if you just look in somebody's eyes. Um, And... Uh, sometimes you'll see suffering there, but a lot of times you'll see joy and hope too, All right. So
0: with that being said, what we talked about what is good what is what is considered good mental health? Yes, now, what's considered bad mental health? Well,
1: of course, it's always a matter of perspective, but in general, I think when we're talking about poor mental health or mental health difficulties, mm-hmm. um, it's somebody who is... Is unhappy makes on other makes other people unhappy. Lacks adequate coping mechanisms. Maybe has a lot of um, bad behaviors that they use to um, cope with stress or to cope with interpersonal demands and things like that. So this could be somebody who has very low um, stress tolerance. Person who say they get job after job and they keep losing their job because they cannot show up to work because of their mental health difficulties or because they don't get along with people at work, which a lot of times you don't lose a job because you don't know the skill that you need for the job, but because other people don't like you. Hmm. And that's borne out in the um, occupational psychology literature time after time you know that that's really interesting do you think that's why a lot of jobs
0: now are allowing the people to work at home
1: i think that could be part of it and part of our a lot of our work now is very technical people are on computers they're yeah. not out talking to each other and yeah. it seems like it's a good thing it's efficient less air conditioning in the <laughs> office building but i think that our increasingly technical world is coming with a, a steep cost and that people have more communication uh, devices than ever I mean I, I personally have I think three tablets I, <laughs> I got them all as gifts <laughs> and a laptop and a phone um, and yet sometimes I turn around and I think why do I feel lonely <laughs> right because um, outside of my work, which is a lot of human contact, but I, am not, I cannot be friends with my clients because then I can't have perspective, um, And sometimes the, the work is long hours and so forth. And I, I come home and I'm, I'm disconnected from people as well. And I know that that doesn't feel good for most people. Right. So um, I do think that, that phones and other devices are meant to keep your attention. You know, you just want to look up one more thing and one more thing. And then all of a sudden, two hours has gone by, and when people say, well, I don't have time to work out, I don't have time to go to clubs, well, do you? Yeah. You know, sometimes a really good intervention is for people to take apps off their phones. (laughs) That is a good intervention. But don't take the help show off. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. (laughs) Moose. So
0: remember we were talking earlier about um, what... Does mental health look like in the home and schools or work? And I know there is a difference because we just, we just spoke about a few seconds ago of if let's say someone worked at home. Um, and so that's their work atmosphere. And then if someone worked their home, their work was their home. That's like two of the same, right? Two of the same. So would their behavior be different? Because I, in my personal opinion, this is an opinion (laughs) That's why she's here to tell me if it's if it's true or not. You play so many different roles in your life. Your mental health would be different at home because you're in a comfortable environment. Your mental health would be different at work because you're in a work environment where you have to live and eat and um, interact with your other coworkers. So it's a way of, I guess, disguising who you are. And then mm-hmm. school is almost like work. Sure, but it's it yeah. is, but it isn't because mm-hmm. you're students. Well, if you're a teacher, your students are not your friends. <laughs> but if you're a student, your your peers should be your friend. And so the question that I have, what do those look like? What do those type of behaviors look like? How does that mental, do those mental health, is that mental health different?
1: Well, I think people definitely can present very differently at work and at home. It's probably a rare bird that is pretty much the same person no matter where they go. I think age brings us that. Um, Age brings a certain amount of security because you've had a number of experiences by then and you're generally more comfortable with yourself. I've had a few clients over the years who have very successful careers. They're very well thought of in the community, have high levels, um, high level jobs in their careers. And they come in and they are deeply unhappy and a lot of times are having tons of problems at home you know they're arguing with their spouses their kids kicking the dog etc and yet they go out and and have this facade of of being healthy and are often thought as ver- thought of as very charismatic and caring people but who are deeply unhappy. And that kind of disconnect, I think, is upsetting to their families particularly, but also to themselves. Um, You never know what goes on behind closed doors, as they say, or in someone's heart or in in their heads. And um, I would encourage people to not presume too much about other people you know one way that we make sense of the world is that we try to generalize or extrapolate from prior experiences but but if we had false information to begin with (laughs) extrapolating it to the next situation is not quite going to work right Right. Um, increasingly today there's there's less of a barrier between work and home you know americans are working longer hours we're taking fewer vacation hours Um, we're answering emails at 10 o'clock at night and going on coast to coast or um, or international phone calls at 3 a.m. because there's a time difference between here and London, et cetera. And there's, there's not quite enough separation. And so sometimes I think we are seeing more mental health issues bleed over into the workplace because people don't feel a boundary. They don't feel a boundary between work and home, or their work self and their home self. Right. And of course, many, many people, and Americans are um, very guilty of this many times, is associating your, yourself and your self-worth with work. Right. And uh, what's the first question you ask at a dinner party, you know, after what's your name is, what do you do? Right. And if you meet someone new and they mention a spouse, what does he do? Yes. Well, we're all always trying to size people up in terms of, the, of um, getting information about them, right? right. To, get, to get to know them right. and really to get to know ourselves as well. Sort of lost my train of thought there. That's okay. I hope That's that was okay. helpful. That was very. <laughs> I lose my train of thought all the time. <laughs> this is perfect. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Did but. I mention mental health earlier? <laughs> okay.
0: What I wanted to know um, with that with people not setting boundaries because I have another question to ask you, but I'm I'm curious about the setting boundaries. What boundaries should people um, set? when you're trying to get yourself mentally healthy
1: well boundaries of course is a huge thing and you know people will will often say that term you don't have good boundaries and it sometimes becomes kind of a joke but right. it, it really isn't a joke boundaries are sort of a fundamental part of good mental health and, and the the essential part of it is where do I stop and the other person begins right where do they stop and I begin you know part of this goes into blaming people for things, right? Or, or making decisions because we think another person will or won't approve of it or we need somebody to do something with us. You can call that codependence. It's all often an overused and um, seemingly trite term, but it's, it's a useful term, I think, in my book. Um, so having boundaries means... That you're responsible for yourself, your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, right. and that you don't take on responsibility for others' feelings, thoughts, and actions. Right. Um, and there are lots of interesting things in, you know, psychodynamic or other interpersonal type psychological work about how people affect one another. I mean, if right. you want to see <laughs> dynamics between people, just watch some reality TV. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I could teach a whole class <laughs> with that because I could I could demonstrate all the various defenses and so forth. Oh man,
0: they they, they cross all type of boundaries.
1: Yes. Oh
0: my goodness. Definitely. I, I actually, um, this is this is off of task, but we'll get back on task. <laughs> I actually, I um, really don't watch TV. I stopped watching TV maybe like um, about mm, eight months ago. Like I like I listen to like I watched you know things on the internet and. I do, you know, sure. Instagram, social media, but as far as like watching TV, what's going on in our everyday news, I get all my information from social media. Yeah, sure. Which I like because it allows me to hear everyone else's perspective and instead of one person's perspective, which would be the meat which would be the news, mm-hmm. which channel 8, Fox or whoever it allows me to get real reaction from real people. Mm-hmm. And so um, I actually haven't watched TV um, in about eight months, but the point I'm trying to make is that I, don't, I feel like I lost um, connection with the, almost with the world because I'm not watching, um, oh, what's that, what's that, um, we were talking, like Housewife of Atlanta <laughs> uh-huh. or I'm not, you know, Survivor, a, a survivor those yeah. kind of things. I'm not watching that so I feel like, okay, am I losing Real, am I losing reality? Like what's going on with supposed to be reality?
1: Well, right, and the nature of reality is is a much debated <laughs> yeah. I'm like <laughs> it's, term
0: these days. It, am I like am I really getting my mental health? <laughs> is this is this coincide with what's going on with mental health? But enough about that. I'm just I, just I just had to share that. I just had to share that for a second. But the question that I wanted to ask you, um, Doctor Bingen is that what are the early signs from adults and from adolescents? Because I'm curious because you know i know that life happens people happen um the, the way of life happens so it may cause you to have some type of mental health issue because let's say that you had something um tragic to happen and that was a trigger to some type of mental health or can it um or does it does it always have to start like that because i i know everyone doesn't have a mental sickness or illness you know sometimes those things are created with life, mm-hmm. and you have to learn how to um, kind of balance the, the uh, your life and so I was curious about adolescents and adults, like where does it start? Where does it
1: begin? Well, that's a very hard question to answer, and you you know you can look back. And do sort of a forensic analysis on yourself and try to say, well, it started when I was 10 and somebody beat me up in the, in the playground. Um, but a lot of times things are cumulative. You know, there are definite genetic predispositions toward various illnesses. Even personality problems can be traced many times to particular genes. Right. Um, But then if you think about what they call the stress diathesis stress theory, which is that you have a certain biological basis for red hair or brown hair or olive skin or what have you, and by the same token you have certain predispositions toward um, low frustration tolerance or anger or attentional problems, etc., or even psychopathic tendencies have been identified as being part of a particular gene. Um, and then something comes along, everything's fine, but then something comes along and it stresses you, that's the stress part of the diathesis stress theory, and it causes those underlying traits to, or underlying tendencies or genetics to turn yeah. on and start expressing themselves physically, emotionally, cognitively, etc., we know this stuff from twin studies right so right. you take um, identical twins who are raised apart which is kind of hard to find at times right. and you see how similar they can be and yet they're not 100% similar one right. can get schizophrenia schizophr- schizophr- and another couldn't cannot develop it right. um, and supposedly they have the exact same genetics but you know, the more we learn, the fuzzier it becomes because, yeah. as it turns out, you might be an identical twin at birth, but right. by the time you're 18, if you had genetic studies, you would not, no longer be able to detect that those were identical twins huh. because their genetics have changed over time. Correct. So, you know, the more we think we're nailing down various targets in the genome and so forth, the more we realize sometimes it's a moving target. That you know, I never thought about it like that. I, I really did not.
0: You know, I, I didn't. I'm, I'm almost speechless. <laughs> Look, almost. <laughs> not fully though. Not, 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 Yo, know, not fully, but almost. Um, how does like the culture impact people? Because we talked about you talked about the genes. How we talking about people, genes, and genetics. How does culture impact? How does someone's culture impact? Um, A person's mental health, the Latin, the Asian, the African-American cultures, how do those cultures? um,
1: Well, they definitely can impact both the development and the various expressions of mental health issues and the treatment of them. Hmm. And, you know, there's always, again, the the older I get, the grayer things get, right? (laughs) So... We make generalizations because it's helpful in our understanding of the world. But you can't say for definite um, that, you know, because Hispanic people might tend to be a certain way, that this particular person who's in front of you in the psychological office is going to present that way. And part of any intake process that I have is, is to try to ascertain kind of what the person's culture is. And even within the same uh, seemingly color skin color category, you have lots of different ways that people grow up. Um, But the but it comes down to basically though is understanding that person's worldview where are they coming from? Right, how do they see the problem? It's not just how you see the problem, it's how they see the problem or don't see the problem as it it may apply. You know, every year I'm required to take certain classes for renewal of my licensure, and one of those classes is on um, the study of cultural influences on mental health. So getting to know various cultures um, more deeply, especially a culture that deviates from what I grew up with or what I consider my norm. To some extent, we're all ethnocentric, which means we think that everybody should be like us or everybody is like us right um so i'm always trying to ascertain that you know something that people don't talk about because i think it's still sort of the dirty term or rude is what's the person's socioeconomic status that's a huge huge factor in people's lives i'm always amazed by that in my work so you know i might have Say I have five African American clients, and I have three of whom grew up in an affluent section of the country or the city, and two of whom did not. Are those the same people? Of course, they're not the same That's people. Yeah. You know, again, um, studies of various ethnicities help because because some generalizations tend to be true by definition. Right. Um, and to get more specific and less gray about that, let me let me talk about some of that. So most of us in our country, as it stands now, think of the mainstream culture as being white. Okay. And we probably think of it as being middle class or, you know, in middle classes, middle class has a lot of people in it. Well, not so many as used to be, right. as it turns out. But in the way we define it has changed. But people who are working, people have who have a high school diploma or some college, that kind of thing. But that's not a lot of our world, really, nowadays. We're getting browner, and we all need to kind of wrap our heads around that, and not everybody is like us. Um, some, some generalities that I've learned about Asian people through taking classes but also having Asian clients is that um, mental health stigma is definitely part of that. You, You don't have nearly as many people presenting for help. And sometimes when they do present for help, they may present more for a physiological problem. So headaches that a doctor can't seem to find a biological basis for and kind of shakes his head and says, well, maybe you should go see a psychologist for that. Right. Um, certainly the emphasis on education, you know the, the emphasis on very hard work, which I think is part of really being an immigrant. But of course, if you have a Chinese uh, client who's been here for four generations, yeah, culture carries over from generation to generation, but it's probably not the same presentation as you see... In someone who just got here and is working, 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 maybe a doctor in their own native country but can't practice here, right. and they're trying to do everything that they can to push their kids as far as they can go. Okay. Um, African Americans do not seek help at the same rate as whites. Part of that is because the people that they're seeking the help from are different from themselves. Most of us feel comfortable going to see someone who is similar to us because we feel that we will be more understood and that's why these things exist for psychologists where we're getting educated on what the various ethnicities are all about to the extent that you can from that kind of learning right um and um another thing about african-american culture is they tend to keep problems within the family and see the family as being the solution. Great. And, um, and they have more distrust, I think, also of the mental health profession, and a lot of times they have fewer resources. So if you're struggling and you've always learned that you, you don't air your dirty laundry and health insurance is too costly or it's poor insurance, which a lot of us have nowadays um are you going to seek help well probably not or less likely to now if you live in new york city where it seems like every other person has a therapist and it's very common to do so and it's even sort of a point of um bravado to say well you know i see my shrink in this area or that area um you know it's a, it's a different picture. So I take these trainings and I always kind of take them with a grain of salt because I think I don't want to pigeonhole people, but sometimes that kind of education is helpful. Right. In the Hispanic culture, what I have found a lot of times is it, not just one person shows up for the appointment. Like four or five people can come to that appointment. Yeah, because they,
0: they want to know what's going on. Right.
1: A very, yeah. very family-focused. Very family-focused. Um, and you know what? Some some. Average white people might be put off by that, but you gotta you gotta look at it as well. Wow, what a system! The the family cares about the person's functioning, and they show up to the appointment.
0: You know what? I think I think that's good to a certain extent. I, in my personal opinion, least it's a family, um, a group session, I think that a person should be able to tell their truth. Sure, and then the family come and join. Right. Yeah, like when the family is already joining the first
1: session. Well, <laughs> let me correct myself because what what I'm talking about is that they come, but they sit in the waiting room. Okay.
0: Okay, I'm like, if they join and they're joining the session, it's like... the first session that that's too evasive. Yeah. That's yeah. Too evasive.
1: Yeah. You know, last year I did some training on Native American culture, and. Um, rates of alcoholism and and also their systems for getting help which are different and you have other systems available to you as a native american that was very interesting to learn about yeah. and come to think of it out of a, any population i can think of that's the population that i've had the fewest clients from yeah. otherwise my clientele tends to reflect the community fairly well you know i've got i've got white clients, I've got black clients African American clients I've got Hispanic clients, I have Asian clients. All right, that's
0: good a, a diverse, mm-hmm. that's good, it allows you to um, learn everybody in their ethnicity, their, their culture status um, which, which is good, it allows you to <laughs> keep educating on what's going on in their realm of world, or what's going on in their community because I, and I, I personally feel if you just deal with one culture then how would you know about the world
1: Right, this is. It's like never traveling anywhere. Yeah, yeah it's
0: like that. Yeah. You know? So, before we end this session, this is. I really, can't believe
1: this is already just.
0: I know. I know. <laughs> I want to. I want to talk forever. <laughs> but, but you know, the listening audience these days, I think forty minutes, maybe, and then they just cut off. Okay. So, what are different types of treatments to help
1: from mental health conditions? Well, they run the gamut from the biological treatments, which is.
0: So, Dr. Bennett, with you being in this field, what are the different type of treatments to help mental health conditions that you could suggest um, the listeners that they could get help?
1: Okay, well, we have, you know, interventions that range from the biological um, to talk therapy, um, and now we have, well, this would be a biological as well, Um, medication is an obvious one perhaps everybody's heard of prozac and probably lexapro and things like that but there are other biological interventions too like ect or what they call electroshock therapy Um, and that does still exist and then there's a new um, sort of treatment for depression also called transcranial magnetic stimulation which is also a biological intervention um, these are primarily targeted toward persons with depression, which, of course, is still a large segment of the pe- of the diagnoses that we see in the mental health field. Um, beyond that, where where I would have my um, specialty, my niche would be in the psychotherapy part. And um, sometimes people call this counseling. Sometimes people call it therapy. They call it psychotherapy um All of those terms may be used interchangeably, depending on who you ask. I don't think it's a big deal to dicker over the the, the term of it, but but there is a difference between psychoanalysis and psychotherapy. Psychoanalysis is actually the old-fashioned things that you would see, um, where somebody's lying on a couch and the um, psychiatrist or psychologist or whoever the analyst is, which we call them analysts, not psychologists and therapists. Is, is sitting behind them and that's called psychoanalysis it's several times per week typically okay. um, there are lots of different kinds of counseling or psychotherapy there's of course cognitive therapy which most people have heard about now there's psychodynamic therapy there's uh, gestalt therapy there's humanistic therapy there's existential therapy there's oh person-centered therapy, and there are several kinds of cognitive therapy, from straight-up cognitive therapy to rational behavior therapy, and and all kinds of um, variants of psychotherapy. Um, One of the most important aspects of that, though, I have to interject here, is actually the relationship. And so the relationship between you and your provider, your counselor or therapist or uh, psychologist, is um, part of the mechanism of change, in my opinion. And so choosing your practitioner is very important. Right. I think mean, it's very important. Yes. It's a, it, it's it's not like choosing your banker. Okay. Well, that's important <laughs> or, too or your now. Mecha- well, yes, it is. And <laughs> your, your mechanic. That's my money. And <laughs> <laughs> But you can change those pretty easily. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is true. You know, think about that. Like you're not holding my money, right? You're fired.
1: <laughs> you know, I think the uh, choice of a of a partner
0: right.
1: and the choice of a therapist is very important. And who you form a rock and roll band with are probably the hardest decisions to to make <laughs> because you have to fit. Exactly, you have you to be kind of on the same page. Yes. You know, That's fundamental true. to psychotherapy is getting the other person. You know, understanding the other person from their point of view. It's not about sticking your values onto them, and that goes back to that topic of of um, cultural competence. Right, but
0: you know, finding the perfect um, therapist, um, finding the perfect mate. Um, find the perfect rock and roll band. <laughs> <laughs> it takes work. And I believe it takes work on um, both parties. Yes. Um, investment. So it, investment. It doesn't, it, 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 doesn't take just one person. So how can you truly know what the fit is if you don't try the fit?
1: It's sure. Like, and I, I encourage people when they are looking for a psychotherapist to, oh. If you're comfortable asking friends about their experiences, you can look at people online, of course. And Sometimes people will tell me, well, I picked you because your picture, you just looked like you were happy or you looked um, kind. Uh, Something I never would have thought of when I started my practice is posting a photo of myself, but now it's expected. And it is one way for somebody to at least get a glimpse of you ahead of time during a time that can be very vulnerable for them right. um, I do not hesitate to talk to people over the phone to have them ask me questions before they make an appointment if they like I don't consider that a psychotherapy session but more of a get to know you and I, I usually encourage people to call a couple of people and. Hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times it can be difficult to get through somebody, through to somebody to speak to them because we make our living by talking to people and that means not taking calls during that time. But if you can be patient and wait for the therapist to return your call, you'll be in good shape. Patience is a virtue. I know it's such a cliche,
0: <laughs> but it's so true.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, everything is about energy, right? So investing energy in a workout regimen, investing energy in your mental health, um, which is more than just showing up to a session every week. It's preparing for it and thinking about it during your drive there, your drive home. Some people go and sit in a coffee shop afterward to write a few notes down. You know, the patient that is, I write my notes as well. (laughs) Um, But what you put into the universe you get back in general. That is so true. I think that I, I think that's so
0: true. I remember when I first met you almost about a year ago, the energy was so great. Your energy was so the picture was really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> like she's well, she, like her eyes seems like she's her eyes seem like she's really nice um therapist. <laughs> Let's <laughs> interview her and then when I actually sat in your office, I was so nervous. When I I was so I was shaking. To me. Oh I was shaking, so I, I, saw I knew it was gonna be a good. When I started shaking and getting really nervous, that's when I felt the. I, okay. I I I felt that energy, and then when I actually got into your office and sat down,
1: I said she's the one. Oh, that's nice to hear. Said, yeah, it, it it was. Uh, it's very easy to talk to you, and you know, frankly, that comes from working a lot on myself over the years too, and that I I have balanced my openness um, with other people
0: basically well Dr. Bennett this was as always (laughs) a really great interview Um, I've learned so
1: much I probably listened to this interview like five, six times (laughs)
0: because I knew I probably missed something
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I shudder to think about listening to it five times for all the times I might have trailed off. So forgive me for that. <laughs> oh, you're fine. Um,
0: I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, I would like for you to tell the audience um, how they can contact you if they need help. And you know, I'm I'm going to call it in their mental health journey because it is a journey. Yes. And so, could you please let the audience know how they can reach you and um, that's, yeah, that's about it. How
1: did it <laughs> Okay. Well, this is Dr. Robin Binnig. I'm a psychologist in private practice in Dallas, Texas. And my phone number is 972-386-8599. I do have a web page as well, and it is ww.drbinig, which is D-R-B-I-N-N-I-G wordpress.com. I've got a little bit of information on there about the practice and the things that I offer. Thank you so much, and you've been listening to the Help Show.
0: Do you have computer problems? Is your computer running slow? <laughs> Did you forget your passcode? Okay, is it running slow because you've been downloading inappropriate things? <laughs> Okay, raise my hand. I've done it before. <laughs> <laughs> Call Half Price Geeks. That's 1 77 Geeks. And tell them the help show sent you. Are you tired of that boss? Are you fed up with that bully? Are you annoyed with your mama? Well, you know what, guys? Check out the anger room on 3014 Comers. If you want to take your anger out, if you want to throw some plates, if you want to jump on some desk, if you want to write on some walls, graffiti on the walls, if if you want to just take the frustration of sometime the day-to-day life that if you actually <laughs> do what you really felt you want to do, you might be incarcerated, <laughs> go to the anger room. Again, that's 3014 Commerce Street. To make an appointment today, it's 1844. i get mad and tell them the help show sent you.